invite your presence. We, Lord, we want to open our hearts to your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly and concisely to us, Father. And that, Father, no matter where we're at, no matter what world things are going on around us, we're open to hear what you have to say, what you want to do. And we give you thanks for that in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and believe. Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. There is an art form in Japan where they take bowls, and it's called a kintsugi bowl. And uh, there's a picture of it there. It's a beautiful bowl, isn't it? And they can be very, very, very expensive because that's gold on that, that's on that bowl. But here's what's crazy is even though it's beautiful <laughs> and even though it's very expensive depending on how much gold and things they have in there, it doesn't start out that way. In fact, the, the, the pure art form of this kintsugi bow is that it begins with broken shards. It begins with a pottery that has been broken, that is useless, that has fallen apart, that has no value absolutely whatsoever. And they, the artist, some of you are jumping way ahead of me now, <laughs> the artist takes it and mends it and puts it together with a special lacquer that has real 24-karat gold inside of it. So that's real gold that's there. And here's what's crazy. The more broken it is, the more messed up it is, the more it's in pieces, the more value it has when they're done. Because the more gold lacquer it requires to put it all together. And that's important for us to understand and think about it. But as we think about that, I also want to give you another image. You may be familiar with the Humpty Dumpty nursery rhyme. The nursery, it's an old, old one. Uh, and, you, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's men and all the king's horses couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Now, that's really interesting. And like many nursery rhymes, it, it probably has a very sordid past. <laughs> but, but of all the different theories, and people have tried to explain where this came from and why it originally was written and how it got adopted into a nursery rhyme for our children. But I like the one theory that says that many, many years ago in one of the English civil wars that they had, many they did, and in one of those wars there was a cannon that was colloquially known as Humpty Dumpty. It was a, as you'd imagine, way back uh, when the, the cannons were sort of stocky and round and, and such. And, and so there was a civil war going on, and so one very creative commander had an idea. He took this cannon, and he lifted it, and somehow, which they don't really know how, hauls it and puts it on top of the wall tower of St. Mary Cathedral. The enemy was coming in, and it was so high, and it was above everything that it shot down and destroyed the enemy as they came. However, there was one just random lucky shot that hit just underneath the cannon and just was able to 
break enough bricks out so that the cannon, Humpty Dumpty, fell. And it was great was its fall, and it was totally destroyed. I like that theory. That, that sort of makes sense to me. What's, what's interesting is if you go back and find the oldest version, written version that we have of Humpty Dumpty, it goes something like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Four score men and four score more could not make Humpty Dumpty where he was before. And I think that's a, sort of what we live every single day. We want to get back. We, want to, we, we feel like we're broken. We feel like there's shards here and there's here. And we're just a bunch of broken pottery. And we're laying all around and we wonder, how do I do this? How do I get back together? We feel this way. We see the suffering that we're going through. We under, we, the pain or the trouble or the hurt or the disappointment or the sin in our life. And we think, oh, God, how can I put it all back together? Nothing seems to get me back to where I was. <clears throat> And that's true. There's a verse that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 that I want to start with because it sort of lays the foundation of everything we're going to talk about. <coughs> Excuse me. We have this treasure. We have this treasure. The treasure, the presence of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. How many say amen? <laughs> I feel like a jar of clay. I'm broken here. I'm broken there. I don't feel like I'm useful here or useful there. We have this this incredible presence of God in jars of clay. Why? 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 Why do I suffer, God? Why do I hurt? Why did this fail? Why did this happen to me, God? Why do I have this trouble? Why do I always respond this? Why, God? Why? And it's to show the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. To show and reveal the power of God is from what God can do in our life, and it's not for us. You see, why God is a very common phrase. And if we're really honest, and this is going to be a completely honest sermon, not like the others aren't, but just understand. <laughs> why God? We've all felt that way. God, why did that happen to me? Why did I lose this child? Why did this happen in this pain? Why is this pain there? Why is this suffering there? Why am I being persecuted? Why God? We all feel that why God. We feel like jars that have been broken, cracked pots. You ever felt like a cracked pot? <laughs> we think, God, why? And God wants to show us something. And I believe God will answer that question for you. No matter what your why is, God has an answer for you. Because you see, that is the question. That is your question this morning. That's the question we all have to deal with. Do you believe that you are a kintsugi bowl that God is putting together with the, the lacquer of His forgiveness and the, and, and the, the gold of his love? Do you believe that's what God is doing? Or do you believe you're just a broken egg? Sitting there trying to put things together, trying to understand the, the world around you and not really understand it. How you answer this question will determine 
whether you're going to live that life that God has for you, that authentic life that God wants to put into your life. You see, many are trying to do just that. We're sitting there, and we're telling God, this fits here, and i got to do this, and i got to put this here, and I'm going to do this, and we, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work to, to put ourselves back together to try to figure out what is going on and how we do this. How do we live this authentic Christian life? Are we living the, as an authentic believer, or are we living as a broken egg? This morning, I want to start a series that we're going to launch all the way through Easter. I'm so excited about it. And we're going to deal with real stuff. How, does, how, do, we, how do we actually live as an authentic Christian, as an authentic believer? What does that really mean? When I, when in real stuff, in a real world, with people around us asking these same why questions. But this is what we need to understand, especially this morning. As an authentic believer, we have to know when the why assails us, when our heart is troubled or heavy with whys and whys and whys, love always prevails. Love always prevails. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Or are we still trying to sit there and put the egg back together? So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to lay out for the next five, six weeks how this is going to go. We're going to, in, in history, in church history, it's always been seen by the earliest church fathers how Psalms 22, 23, and 24 fits into the Passion Week. Psalms 22, is you, if you're familiar with it, and you will be <laughs> in the next several weeks, in Psalms 22, you, you start to see the prophetic word that David wrote, that Jesus actually spoke all these words that come right out of Psalms 22, and we'll explain why. But Psalms 22 really has a, is a picture of Good Friday. Psalms 23, we always see that as a comforting song, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is a picture of Silent Saturday. It's a short little verse, but Silent Saturday is when Nothing is known as far as we don't, the disciples aren't recorded in doing anything or anything. It was after the death, but before the resurrection, and they just were silent. But that's the day, the days that Jesus descended into hell and victory. And then Psalms 24 is such a beautiful picture of the Easter Sunday morning and everything that God has done and the victory that God has brought. So we're going we're gonna to lay all that, we're going to talk that, but this morning what I'm going to talk about, we're going to start with Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is a fascinating verse, and is, is a fascinating chapter, and as we move through that, we need to understand what, what it means, because you see, it's not just about the words, because Psalms, in Jesus' day, were never really ever spoken. They were always sung. Why? Because it's a song. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> it's a song. Songs are, psalms are songs. So they could be chanted, but unless you just wanted to point out one single word, it would be like you today taking Taylor Swift's wonderful songs and just saying them. I mean, they're there. They, they do that. But the, the emotion, the, the impact comes from singing it. So Jesus is on the cross. And I believe he sang Psalm 22 from the beginning to the end. And I'll show you that as we move through the, through the weeks. 
He sang the sweetest song ever sung in the world, and we missed it. <laughs> we just think he's saying this, or we think he's saying that. He sang this amazing song on the cross, among a few other things that, that he said. It was just, it's an amazing picture of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is going through and how he's dealing with that. Because you have to see it as a song so you don't just say, oh, I just heard this word, he said this word. Because the words have meaning. Let me give you an example. And something that will help all you guys, okay? All you guys, you understand that your wife, your spouse, has to have words, a lot of words. Probably more words than you. That's sort of a generalization, but you understand that. Wives have their words, right? And they have to get their words out. And we, we sort of hear that, and maybe you're familiar, familiar with that. And so as good husbands, what do we try to do? We try to listen to all the words. <laughs> try to listen to all the words. Because we know she's got like 10,000, 12, I don't know, some crazy number of words that she has to get out. And then, you know, so we are like, fine, get out all your words. That, that's good. We think, we think that's appropriate. But if that's all you're doing, you missed it. Because... You see, what the studies show that, that we somehow miss is it's not about the words. It was never just about the words. Because, you see, women attach emotion to words and feelings to words. So the reason they're saying so many words is they're trying to get out the emotions and what they're feeling, what, what is going on inside. So if you're sitting there just trying to listen to the words and think, I, I'm letting her get out her 6,000 words. No, 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 you missed it. But you have to listen to what she's feeling, what's singing. That right there is worth the price of admission this morning. Because that will take, because one of the most things that we have in our relationships is stress and communication. So if you just get that saying, wait, she's not just talking, she's trying to let me feel something. What am I feeling? If you're just there listening and not feeling, you've missed the whole point. That's why after they get out their 6,000 words, there's still no communication. Because <laughs> you didn't hear, you didn't feel what she says. And this morning, I want you to feel what Jesus sang on the cross. We really only have time with just one verse. Psalms 22, verse 1. We're just going to talk about verse 1. Because it's the one that is the most impactful, <laughs> except for the ending one. It, it, but, and also, it's the one most under, misunderstood. Jesus sang this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? And you're thinking, oh my goodness. And people get so confused with this. So was Jesus upset at God that God had rejected him? Is that what that was? Was he singing, was he singing this song because he was trying to communicate that and not happy with God putting him on the cross? Because we know that's not true. Or, or maybe it's because, as some people theorize, that the, all the sin of the world got put on Jesus, every single bit of it, every sin that was ever done, every sin that would ever be done, every sin that you've ever done or ever will do was placed on Jesus Christ. And that sin was so great that God had to turn away. God had to not look, could not look on, on sin, could not look at this. Why would Jesus doubt God? Why do we say why? Why do we say, God, I, I don't understand this pain. I don't understand this suffering. I don't understand why this happened to me. Why I was raised this way or why they did that or one's, whatever, whatever. 
Why would this happen? Why are all these things happening in my life? Why did I hurt? Why did I suffer? Why God? Do you realize that in Job, and how many know, if you're not familiar with Job, Job suffered crazy stuff. I mean, losing family on top. I mean, the physical, it just, it just, you just listen to that and you go, it's just crazy. In 28 times in the book of Y, from, his, from Job and also from his uh, friends, uh, they ask why. Why? 28 times. Why, 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 why? Job is a question of why, 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 why? Because we identify with Job. And if there's anything that Jesus is trying to do as he's on the cross, taking all of our sin on him, is to understand and, and to live what we're living, and we say, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why? 28 times, Job. In the Job, we find the English word, why? Why, why did this happen? God answered Job. Job was amazed. But you see, the answer that God gave to Job was not what we thought, wasn't what we expected. It most certainly wasn't what uh, Job expected. He was flabbergasted. He has a God. He expected God to give him the answer. Why did this? Why did I suffer? Why did I go through all this? Why did I lose my family? Why did all this happen? Why God? And then when he actually understood the answer, he was like, oh my goodness. And God has an answer for your why. Whatever it is, God has an answer for your why. I don't want to get lost this morning just talking about uh, suffering and such because I want us to get to the answer. I want us to understand the answer. And, and let's find as Job found what the answer is. In Job 42.5, at the very end, God came back and showed him his glory. And this is what Job says. My ears, oh God, my ears had heard of you. But now, but now, but now my eyes have seen you. I heard you. I heard that, that about you. But now I've actually seen you. And that was all the difference for Job. That he actually saw God. See, Jesus said, you want to see the Father? I have shown you the Father. I have shown you God. Because when we see Jesus, we see God. When Job didn't just hear, and I pray, if you're watching here, if you're in this room, it's not just something that you hear. I heard God was good. I heard God loves you. It's not just here, but it's something you actually see. You actually know. Job saw God and said, oh my goodness, now that I've seen you, I understand about your love. Because we try to understand, but it's so hard to understand, but it, and we'll never understand unless we see God. Is it great? I have these whys. How, how can I see God? Oh, I'll, you can see God. You can see God through Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood ran down his body as he gave everything for you. Everything so that you can be saved. Everything for you that you could be re redeemed. When we see God, when we see God, we see the answer. We understand what God is able to do. 
Now, it's really interesting when, especially as we're talking about verse 1 of Psalms 22, we think, why would God turn away? Why would God not see Jesus? We're to look at Jesus and see the love of God, that he would die for us, and that is the answer to all these things that we can't even explain. But why would, why would God do that? Now, some people believe that a foundation for this idea that God turned away and couldn't look at Jesus because he became sin for us on the cross was found in Habakkuk. That's a great, great book. You just need to go read it. Just say that over and over, Habakkuk. I feel like you're really getting into the Bible when you do that. Habakkuk 1.13 says this. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Well, there you go. There you go. You're, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Your eyes are too pure. You can't look on evil. You see, but the application of that by so many is absolutely wrong. Because you have to understand what the prophet Habakkuk was trying to do. God, do something. God, move. God, act. Because you are too pure not to act. <laughs> you are too pure not to do something about the sin. And God was too pure that he could not just look on our sin, look at our failures, look at our life, and not do something. So he acted. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and I, that we could see that cross and know what he's done for us, that we would know the love because I have seen the love of Jesus that has died for us, that has died for you. I don't believe for a second that God turned away from Jesus, nor does he do from you. Because that's usually the, the end um, idea if you extrapolate this theory out to the very end. If God looked away there from that, if the sin was so great he had to look away, maybe he looks away from me and my sin. Maybe my sin is so great. Maybe my failure, maybe I'm too cracked up. <laughs> maybe I'm so broken. That God cannot look at me. Maybe the pain and the suffering was so great that God can't put me back together again. And he loves us. And he takes, painstakingly takes, as a craftsman, each shard that was broken and covers it in his love and covers it in his forgiveness and puts it together piece by piece so that we become this incredible uh, bowl of service for God. So the question then comes down, what will you do with God's act of love? What will you do? Do you believe with all the why that you have and all the struggle you have and all these unanswered questions of why, do you believe, do you, can you see God's act of love in our life? You see, Jesus saying, verse 1, <laughs> that was just the first verse, <laughs> That's just so he, he says, like all of us, we feel like, God, why? And if you're sitting there saying, I never say, God, why? Then, then you're, you don't know God. <laughs> because we all feel like, God, why? But you can't stop at verse 1. Because he, he, in verse 4, he says this. He says, in our ancestors put their trust. In you, God, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. That's incredible. God, Jesus, on the cross saying, hey, 
Yes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I understand that. I understand the why singing that song, but the song goes on to say, God delivered me. God will hear me. God is not one that he could just sit back and not do anything in the midst of suffering and pain. Jesus sang the song of trust that love would endure. (laughs) He sang it for me. He sang it for you in the midst of suffering and pain. Jesus sang uh, of his love. He never fought back. He was never angry in saying, vengeance is, is deserved on them, God. He gave everything. He, as an act of love, helps put us together again by enduring all the evil that could be unleashed on Christ. He gave us redemption. I love the, the quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, in explaining suffering, said, to try to exclude the possibility of suffering, try to do that, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. Just try to exclude all suffering, all pain. And what you'll find is that there is no life. Because you see, God doesn't want us as just a bowl that we were. (laughs) He doesn't want us just put back together. He wants to elevate us and change us and through the suffering and through the struggles and through the pain that we don't understand, that we say, God, why? That he puts us together and we become the most amazing, beautiful Kintsugi bow ever. The value is so much greater than we've ever known. You see, the suffering is here. And we suffer, I believe, and it's here because sin is in this world. We had dominion over the world, and when we sinned, there was sin in the world. So it is here, and there's a lot of deeper discussions we can have on the theodicy. Theodicy just means, it is a word that as theologians that we've created. <laughs> and it means trying to understand why do people suffer? <laughs> That's what it means. The theodicy, God, justice. Why is there, how does all this work? But I think the answer is so much simpler. In one sense, I think it's an unknowable. The other sense, it is knowable and just say, you know what? I've seen God. I've seen the act of love on the cross for my life, for what God is trying to do in my life. But what's crazy is even though sin brought in suffering, I believe, God uses it to build our faith. Here's the part that we go, what? God actually, you know what it says in, in 2 Timothy, let me read that, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, everyone, except you, no, 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 everyone, all of us, even you guys watching online that are in your bed drinking your coffee instead of being here. I am not bitter. I'm just telling you. I love you. <laughs> Everyone who wants to live a godly life, ah, who wants to be an authentic believer, not one of those that just goes through the motions, not just one that just says, I, I good, I'm, I'm here, I do that, but an authentic believer, a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, Greg, this is not an exciting message. (laughs) But how many know there is suffering in this life? We don't always know what tomorrow holds, but there's suffering, there's pains, there's things we don't understand. And if you try to go through this suffering in this life, trying to 
put it back together like you think it should go. Well, I'll just put this back in. I'll make this like that. It won't ever happen. Instead, God takes the brokenness that we are and puts us back together in the most beautiful way and uses the very brokenness, the very pain, the very suffering that we had, the very persecution we go through to make us of greater value. Why? To show the amazing, incredible, all-surpassing love and power of God in our life. If there was never a trouble, if there was never a persecution, if there was never a, a pain, then we would not know the power of God. And oh man, to know that power, to know that it's there, it's just incredible. It's amazing. And it's not easy to do. So Peter talked to Jesus, and Jesus was saying, I gotta suffer, I gotta go to the cross. It's about the cross. Peter goes, no, 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 no. That is not that kind of church that we are going to build. <laughs> that is not the kind of church. That is not what we're going to teach. We're going to do something different. So no. And so Jesus rebuked Peter and then got, gathered all these disciples around and talked to Peter through the disciples and through the crowd and said, take up your cross. He didn't say mine. You have a cross. Carry it. We don't talk about cross too much. <laughs> So that's what Jesus said. That was a command. It was an imperative. It found, it's, he said, you have a cross. You must carry it. Every one of us. Bear your cross. What is important to see in comparison is later on in the garden, Peter's doing it again. Don't you love Peter? He just gets hopes for all of us. Peter's doing it again, and they came to get Jesus. Jesus going, I got to do this. I got to go. And what did Jesus do? He takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant's uh, head. Cuts off the ear. Uh, he wasn't aiming for the ear. You know that, right? He just was a poor swordsman. He was going for the head. He just missed. Peter's not one to go, oh, I'm just going to take a little ear here. No, 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 no. That's not Peter. <laughs> and, and so Jesus was out of his mind going, Peter! And because it says he commanded, actually the words there, he commanded Peter, put down your sword. Ah, two commands given to Peter, given to you, given to me. Take up your cross, put down your sword. Unfortunately, in the world today, we often invert them. God, I laid down my cross. I picked up my sword. I'm going to tell them that they're wrong. I want to show them that that's not right. I got my sword, God. I got my righteousness. I got my judgment. I'm going to tell my family. I'm going to tell my neighbors. I'm going to tell my coworkers. I'm going to tell them how wrong they are and how they're going to hell. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Not that way. We lay down the sword even though we feel like we have a cause, even though we feel like we are justified with this, lay down the sword, lay down the sword, pick up the cross. Because there's people that are broken and they'll never, 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 never come to Christ and they'll never, 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 never change with a sword in your hand. You see, you can't carry both. So often what we do is we put down the cross so we can pick up the sword. 
And after we killed people, we say, okay, God, I'll pick up your cross now. And there's just like blood all around. And we're going, what? Jesus is going, no, pick up the cross. Be the servant. Understand what I'm about. Let let them see your cross. Because if they see your cross, they'll see mine. Very often, the only way that people see the cross is through ours. Through yours. They will not see the cross if we're not carrying the cross. See, an authentic believer, you say, God, I want to be an authentic believer. Okay, put down your sword. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Oh, all the time? There's sometimes we've got to carry the sword. There's sometimes we've got to just pick up that sword. Come on, God. No, no, no. My life is the way of the cross. Pick up the cross. Why? Because love endures. Love prevails. When the why and the world will come into you and feel you, why, why would God do this? Why does this happen? Why, 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 why? If you don't hear why from the world, you're not talking to them. Because that's all they feel. Why? Because that's all we feel. That's what every human existence is. God, why me? God said, so I can make you into the most beautiful, the most dynamic, the incredible bow of life to serve other people that they cannot be served if there's not the gold through it. And the more broken we are, the more gold and mercy and love and forgiveness that we carry in us and the more beauty that we have. Who's the most beautiful servant of Christ? The one that was the most broken. The one that had everything to lose. The one that could never put back anything. But it's all about God. Let me leave this last verse. Psalms 22. That, the, those, that thumping, that's just God saying, Amen. Just in case you missed that. Psalms 22. Come on, guys. Listen, watch this. Jesus is still singing. <laughs> you got to get to the end of the song. Right, we can't even do that yet. We'll do that later on. When we get to the end of the song, you're going to love the end of the song. Oh, my goodness. Because the end of the song is amazing. But right here, in the middle of the song, he says, He has not despised or scorned the suffering. It's the craziest thing. We think that our pain, our suffering, our trouble, our persecution actually alienates us from God. That's not what the verse says, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is on the cross and said, you have not despised. You have not scorned the suffering as I suffer of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face. There you go. In case you just wondered. (laughs) Maybe Greg's making up that other stuff. I don't know. There it is, right there. Jesus said, you have not hidden your face from the cross. He sang it to, to God. Are you willing to sing it to God? You have not hidden your face from him who has listened to his cry for help. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, God hears. Sit, Greg, you don't know how broken I do. Believe me. I do. I see the brokenness. I see the brokenness all around us. And you say, Greg... Why, why, why? When why assails you, just remember, love prevailed. (laughs) Love prevailed. 
God's love. What breaks my heart the most, knowing everything I just shared with you, what breaks my heart the most is when I see people that have fallen from the wall of life and they're at the bottom and they're broken and they're all messed up and they're sitting there and they're just trying to put the shards together. They say, Greg, this won't fit. I try to put it here, but it just won't stay. And I said, that's right. It won't ever stay because you've got to have something to hold it together. So what do we use? Money. Money always holds everything together. Just have all the money in the world and it will hold it all together. I'm convinced that's why God wants us to give. Just to remind us, it's not about our money. We love our money. Our relationships, okay, just to spread it out here. <laughs> or, 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 or whatever. These are, we, this will hold it. This will do it. This will hold it together. And it never does. The only thing that holds us together, that creates something beautiful from something broken, is the love of God. Is the forgiveness, the lacquer with the gold. The love with the forgiveness. And we become bowls that change the world by serving the world. Why, God? Because I love you. Because I love you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, just stir our hearts. I am not so presumptuous is to assume that, God, we don't say why. Because I've heard it from my own mouth. God, let us see your love. Let us know your love that puts it all together in a way that we could never do. We can never become. God, I challenge every single person to make the choice. I'm not going to be the broken egg. I'm going to be the restored bowl of Christ that only comes through everything that you brought into my life and every deliverance that you bring into my heart and every hope that you sing into my soul. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that right now. And if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that's sitting in brokenness, they don't know how to get back together. They don't know how to be made whole. God, I pray right now that your grace and your love and your mercy begins to just put them back together. And it just starts with, God, forgive me. God, not by my will. God, not by my power. God, not by my might. But by your Holy Spirit. Come and breathe on us all. Forgive us. Restore us. Renew us. Rebuild us with the glory of of your love. And I pray that for every single person. Amen.